Take your Bibles and turn them to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Isaiah, chapter 9. We're continuing in our series, God's Gift for You, God's Gift to You. Last week, we saw that Christmas is God's gift to you of peace, and this Sunday, we are talking about God's gift to you of hope. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at verses uh, 2 through 7. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Father, I pray that as we take a few moments to understand and know the hope that you have given us at Christmas, we pray knowing that that hope can sustain us through every circumstance of life. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. For there's no doubt that this year has been a tough year for many. It's been a difficult season uh, where people are, are growing fearful and uncertain. Some of this is because of economics. It, it, the price of cost of energy has gone up and the cost of groceries has gone up and and we wonder whether or not we're we're going to continue to make ends meet. They look at the world situation and we really find no reason to rejoice. And then you add on to those things that affect us all to those things that will affect us all at one time or another. Uh, people face the death of someone that they love. Uh, some face the loss of a job. Others face times of depression and it comes on without notice and, 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 and can't even figure out the reason. And it's a 
dark time for many. It reminds us exactly of the words of Isaiah. that We are at times people who walk in darkness. People who dwell in the land of deep darkness. And to those people who live in that darkness, there's a need for hope. It described the people uh, that Isaiah, that the original audience of this prophecy, uh, had, the, the, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, they were walking in darkness at that moment in history. The, the, the superpower of their time, Assyria, which was known for its brutality, uh, their, their shadow was cast over the land of Israel. In fact, they had already taken uh, the land around Galilee at that time. And they were walking in darkness and they needed hope. This prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Jesus. Uh, and that was a time of darkness as the people were under the dominion of, of Rome. And, and the people uh, had, who, who worked endlessly to make ends meet uh, struggled because they had to pay such high taxes to Rome. Not only that, uh, uh, the women of that day had to fear at any moment they could be kidnapped. They could be raped. Men could be murdered for no other reason than, than to show the power of Rome. Not only that, the people of Israel were living under the oppression of a corrupt religious system that was putting more and more weight on them, more and more burdens on them that, that were impossible to keep. They needed hope just as much as we need hope today. But you see, hope is a very dangerous thing, especially if you have the wrong definition of hope. You see, there are two definitions of hope, and, and the definition of hope that the world has today is the wrong definition, and it's what they rely on. Hope for people today is to want something to happen. To, to I, I hope this happens, or I, I want this to be true. And so we, and so as children, we, we grow up hoping that our best friend will play with us at recess or, or uh, that at Christmas I hope that Santa Claus will give me everything that I want. We grow to, to, to be teenagers and, and we hope that, that, the math, that, that there'll be a substitute in math class. Uh, today uh, because there was supposed to be a test. Or we hope that that boy or girl that, that we have a crush on really likes us back. As we grow into adulthood, we hope that we have, a money, we have enough money to, to pay our bills. We hope that what? That the test results will come back good. You see, the hope that the world has is, a, is, is really a hope in things and in, and in people. 
And unfortunately, when we put our hope in things and people wanting things to happen, they will often fail us. Even the greatest storybook uh, romance can fall short of fulfilling us. Finances crumble. Relationships fail. And with it, we lose even more hope. But you see, there is a, another definition of hope. And that hope, that definition is to expect with confidence, to trust. And that is the hope that God has given us at Christmas. God's gift for you is a hope that is an expectant confidence that God will do what he said he will do. It's a hope that says, I can trust God. And that's the hope that he's given us at Christmas. It's the hope that, that Isaiah tells about in this passage of Scripture. For I want you to see this morning that, the, that God gives us hope, and that hope is a person. For unto us, what? A child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now, it's easy for us to, to, to glance over that, but, but those, that, those two phrases are very important. Because for unto us a child is born. It points to the humanity of Jesus. That, that he came, that, that he was truly man. But he was also a son who is given. Meaning that he is truly God. He is the God man who has come into this world. And he is our hope. Why? Because he is the wonderful counselor. Oh, we, we need wisdom in this world, but I want to help you understand that the wonderful counselor has, is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows the end from the beginning. He and his will for us is always right. He is the mighty God. He is all-powerful, and he can bring about his purposes. He is the everlasting Father, meaning that 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 meaning there is is that He is the Father who has compassion and He really does care for you and I. And He is the Prince of Peace. And as I spoke last Sunday, that 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 this Son that's been given, this child that's born, the Son that's given, gives us peace with God gives us peace with one another, and even brings peace within our own hearts and our own lives. This gift of hope is a person. It's God himself come in the flesh to save us from our sins. And he will never fail us. And so we can have an expectant confidence that his purposes will always come to pass. 
No matter what circumstance we're in, if we are in Christ, we know that he will bring about his purposes in our lives. And all he calls us to do is believe. He says to us, listen, I am giving you my son. And, and as we celebrate Christmas, we are, we are celebrating the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And, in order to, and what does God say? Believe that. Believe that I came into this world. Believe that, my, that, that Jesus is God's son. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died on a cross for you. Believe that he was buried. Believe on the third day that he rose from the dead. And when you believe that, you rely on it. You're trusting it. You're trusting what? That what God has done for me is the only way for me to be saved. And I put my trust in Christ and Christ alone. And listen, that's something that I have to preach to myself every day. Because if I don't preach the gospel to myself every day, I start thinking it's about me and how good I can be. But I can never be good enough. It's all about what Christ has done for me. And when I believe and I rely on him and I'm trusting him, it produces in me a love for him that will gladly say, not my will, but your will be done. And God says, this is the hope that I've given you at Christmas. It is my son, and my hope will never let you down. Because you can have a confident trust in me. But Isaiah tells us also that God's gift of hope brings joy. Go back with me in, in verse 3. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah uses two pictures here to describe joy. One is that of a farmer who has, who has brought in his harvest. For months he has worked. He's labored hard. He is, he's dug in the soil. He's planted the seeds. And, and, and he's cared for his crop the best he knows how. And, and sometimes he, he, he's, he's praying for rain because rain doesn't come. And then sometimes he's praying that it'll stop raining because it, at times it's, it's drowning everything. But finally the harvest comes and there's great rejoicing. And it's also the joy, he says, of winning the battle and the, the gladness when you divide the spoil. When the battle is over, all the trophies are yours. All the spoil is yours. There's great rejoicing. And so there is great rejoicing in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. What does that mean? How can we be joyful in hope? Well, it's very simple. Happiness depends on the circumstance we're in. 
Joy does not depend on the circumstance. Joy has a confident trust and an expectation in what God is going to do. You can be, you have joy in the midst of hope, knowing what? That even though, that, 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 knowing that the circumstance that I am in right now, no matter how bad it is, is not the end of the story. But what do we do? Too often, what do we do? We, we, look, we look at our circumstance and then look at God. And we say, oh God, why, don't you love me anymore? Why are you allowing this in my life? You see, when you look at God through your circumstance, you get a distorted picture of God. But when you look at your circumstance through God, you get a clear picture of your circumstance. And the clearest picture of your circumstances is that this is, even though it is terrible, God works all things together for the good. And that this, that this circumstance may last the rest of my life, but the end of my life is not the end. For Jesus is the resurrection and life, and he will raise me up to a life where there is no more pain, sorrow, or tears. And so I can be joyful in hope, knowing that, that, the, that the moment is not the end of the story. And so we have joy, but not only that, God's gift of hope brings victory. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Oh, let's just stop there for a moment. On the, as on the day of Midian, it, that, that's a reference back to the book of Judges. You may remember the story, if you went to Sunday school growing up, you may remember the story of Gideon, of how God called Gideon who was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat because he didn't want anybody to see them because Midian had the, 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 the country of Midian had overtaken the land of Israel. And so he's in hiding. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says to him, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, who are you talking to? You certainly ain't talking to me. But God called this man in hiding, and he called him to raise up an army, 10,000 strong, to go and defeat the armies of Midian, but, but, but he had too many men. And so God said, all right, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. And so some 10,000 men went home. And then, or a majority of them, I don't remember, but the majority of them went home. And then God said, well, that's still too many. He said, now, you know, tell everybody to go get a drink of water out of the creek. And, 
And he said, now, everybody who gets down like a dog and laps up the water, you send them home. But everybody who keeps their eye on the battle and brings the water to their mouth, you keep. And there was only 300 left. But God used 300 men to defeat an army that was too numerous to count. And he brought the victory in an improbable situation. I want to tell you something. I'm sitting here looking at Randy right now. Randy's still praying, and we're praying with him for a kidney. But I'm going to tell you something. God has victory in it. And that's what we have to live in. He has victory in this. And he already has victory in it even before the kidney arrives. Because that's the, that's the hope that we have. And he says what? He says, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That is all the weapons of war after the victory has been done. All those blood-stained clothing are taken and they're burned because the victory has been won. The battle is over. Listen, I want you to understand right now, we live in victory because the battle is over. We have victory today. Over sin, Satan, and the grave. Right now, we have victory over the grave right now. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I take my last breath here, I will breathe again in heaven. The Bible teaches me to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible teaches me that one day God is going to, when Jesus is going to come again, and if I have died, this body will be raised up from the ground and it'll be made perfect, and I will live with him forever and ever because death has been defeated. It has no more sting. But not only that, I've got, we've got victory over Satan. Jesus said when he was headed to the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. So right now, all I have to do, the Bible says, is what? Resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee from me because all I do is draw near to God, and God will draw near to me. I don't have to be afraid of the devil. He has no power over me because he's been defeated. But I also have victory over sin, and this is the problem that most Christians face. We don't live in that victory. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self, that sinful self, was crucified in Christ in order that this body of sin be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And he goes on to say, he says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Here's our problem. We don't consider ourselves dead to sin. We think sin still has power over us. But that's not true. Sin has no power over you. It has been crucified. You have to choose to believe that. You have to choose to believe that I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ, my Jesus died for me. And I love him so much that I'm willing to say I'm dying to my old self because it's dead. I don't want it anymore. And I'm living for Christ. And I'm going to trust the power of the Holy Spirit who has promised me that in the times of temptation, he always, every time, gives me a way of escape. 
I have to choose to believe that. Because I already have the victory. Because the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. The hope that God has for us is a gift. It's God's gift for you. And it brings to you joy. And it brings to you victory. But it's a gift you have to receive. You have to trust. You have to believe. Today. Every day. In order to live in that hope. That will bring you joy. And victory. Many of you remember the late John McCain. He ran for president. He was the senator from Arizona. Some of you know, remember that he was shot down in Vietnam and was a prisoner of war at the Hanoi Hilton for uh, five and a half years. He says in his memoirs that when I was being mistreated by the North Vietnamese, many times I found my, myself asking to live just one more minute rather than one more hour or one more day. He says, I know I was able to hang on longer as a prisoner of war because of the spiritual help that I received through prayer. He said, at Christmas, he said, I was the room chaplain, not because of any excessive virtue. He said, it's just simply, I, I, I knew the prayers and I knew the church service because I had gone to church all my life. We asked for, he says, we asked for a Bible from the Vietnamese, and they said they didn't have any. He said, later we learned that thousands of Bibles had been sent to us, but they wouldn't be given. Finally, four days before Christmas, he says, I was told that I could copy prayers and stories from the Bible that the Vietnamese had made available to him for just a short amount of time. And so on that Christmas day, he said we had a Christmas service. He said our, our, our service consisted simply of a Bible passage read by me, followed by a Christmas carol. And then he said I talked about the birth of Christ. And then the choir sang Silent Night. And he said, I looked around the room during that service and there were tears in those men's eyes. They weren't tears of anger or fright or sorrow or bitterness or even longing for home. He said they were tears of joy that for the first time in five years, there was a celebration of Christmas and it renewed their hope this morning I want you to understand that no matter what situation you are in no matter what circumstance you face there is already hope and his name is Jesus and he's saying to you today all you need to do is receive by faith